Proverbs chapter number 4 tonight. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 20. The Word of God says, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your word. We pray that you'd help us over the next few moments in the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open unto the truths that you have for us. I pray that your spirit might have liberty tonight both to use me, Lord, also to speak to me and to speak to all that are under the sound of my voice. Lord, we'll be sure to give you the praise, honor, and glory when you answer these things. For we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember hearing a preacher say one time that every single passage in the Old or in the New Testament uh, that is uh, of consequence, of importance. Of course, we know all the Word of God is important, but I mean every truth that is embodied by a New Testament verse has an Old Testament verse that sort of goes along with it and uh, presents to us and amplifies these truths. And as I began to think about these few verses of Scripture, my mind was drawn to Romans chapter number 12. And you don't have to turn there, but I'd like to quote for you one verse from that chapter. It's the first verse in that chapter. Paul says in Romans 12:1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Now, as we consider what Paul says in that verse, I'll confess to you that uh, there's a little bit of a disconnect, I think, between the language that he uses and often our understanding about what he means. It's funny because we preach this message a lot of times to young people. When I was a youth pastor, no telling how many times I preached Romans 12.1 to young people. and talked about presenting your bodies, a living sacrifice, and the importance of it. And inevitably, I'd always have young people ask me this question, Preacher, how do we present our bodies, a living sacrifice? You see, the language evokes the idea of the Old Testament sacrifice in which the animal would uh, be uh, slain and his body flayed and uh, there was all sorts of orders and, uh, and, and prescriptions for how that body was to be meted out and how it was to be treated, what was to be done with this part, what was to be done with that part. But when Paul brings this language over into the New Testament day of grace, He's not talking about you and I martyring ourselves in a physical sense. Now, listen, if there ever comes a day when we uh, are required to die as a martyr, we ought to be willing to. But I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about in chapter 12 and verse 1 of the book of Romans. He says we are to be a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Uh, God, more than asking for our death, He asks for our life. Somebody say amen to that. It's far easier to die for Him than it is to live for Him. Uh, you make that decision in a moment to die for Him, but you've got to die daily to live for Him. And I believe that Proverbs chapter number 4 gives us a little bit of an idea and gives us five things that we can do 
to present our bodies a living sacrifice. In fact, if you read through these carefully, you'll notice that several parts of the human anatomy are listed. In verses, uh, in verse number 20, he talks about our ears. In verse number 23, he talks about our hearts. In verse number 24, he talks about our mouth. In verse number 25, he talks about our eyes. And in verse number 26, he references our feet. And he describes to us five ways that we can present our bodies to the Lord. Five ways we can be a living sacrifice unto Him. And I want to notice them this evening in the preaching of God's Word. Now look back at verses 20 through 22. The Bible says, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let me say, number one, if we're going to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord, then number one, we must be willing to present our ears unto the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God. Listen, living for the Lord begins with an open heart and with open ears. If you're not receiving the preaching of the Word of God, you're not going to grow as a Christian. And just because you're sitting under preaching does not mean you're drinking in preaching. Somebody say amen to that. Uh, you know, we, we have various ministries around the church. And uh, one of the ministries I appreciate most is our children's church ministry. And uh, our young people are able to have preaching that is uh, specifically geared to their level of comprehension and understanding. And I believe that that's valuable. I, I believe it's important. I appreciate the hard work that goes into it. Even right now, as we preach tonight, our teenagers are over with Brother Kerry, our youth pastor, and he's preaching the Word of God to them in a way that I know is going to be applicable and relevant to their life. But we've also sought to strike a balance between various ministries that might be outside of the sanctuary and the time that young people as well as old people need to spend under the preaching of the Word of God by the pastor. Because I'll tell you this, uh, there's a big difference between being at church and being in church. And I, I believe, I mean, listen, we wouldn't give the effort towards those ministries if we did not believe in them. Of course, we believe in them and they're important. But I say that to draw a distinction between just the simple idea of being in a church pew and the idea of having your heart open to the truth, the Word of God. Uh, listen, you can, if you choose to, you can sit in these church pews every time the doors are open and not hear a thing the preacher says. You can sit and have your mind upon other things. I remember growing up, uh, it was funny. You know, I, I, as a child, I would sit in the church service. You know, children, you can't get anything by them. Amen. Uh, while the rest of us are pretending like we're listening, the children are looking around, investigating everybody. And I remember as a little boy looking around the auditorium of the church I grew up in, and I'd see people reading magazines. I'd see people balancing their checkbooks. If anybody still balanced their checkbook, they'd still do it now. Amen. I'd look around, I'd see people looking through clipping coupons. Those people were at church, but they sure weren't in church. Don't be surprised. Listen, don't think you can't spiritually die in a spiritually living church. If you choose to not have your ears open, presented under the preaching of the Word of God, if you don't allow yourself to be examined by the Word of God, then don't be surprised when you sit under the sound of sound preaching for 10, 15, 20, 30 years and find yourself spiritually dead. There can be nothing wrong with the medicine, but if we refuse to take it, it cannot help us. We have to present our ears to the preaching of the Word of God. I think that is, number one, through being willing to absorb the truth of the Word of God. That's what they say in uh, verse number 20. The writer of Proverbs says, Incline thine ear unto my sayings. You know what that means, to incline. It means to lean, right? 
when we're talking about an incline, we're talking about something that is on an angle, something that is bent towards, something that is leaning towards. And what that means is this, that when the Word of God is preached, we ought to lean our ear in to hear what God may be willing to say to you and I. As long as the preaching is for everybody else, listen now, it ain't for you. And once the preaching becomes for you, then you ain't worried whether it's for anybody else. As long as there's always somebody else should have heard that and should have been here, and oh, the preacher's preaching at them and preaching all over where they're at, that means you're not getting anything. You know what you're doing? You're like a couple of cattle sitting there at the ring, and you're watching the other one with their head stuck in eating the hay. You've got to say, listen, if nobody else gets any, I'm going to get some. If nobody else hears anything, I'm going to hear some. If nobody else came to hear from God, I came to hear from God, and I'm going to incline my ear unto what's being said. I think it speaks about us absorbing uh, the truth of the Word of God, but I think it's also speaking about you and I grabbing hold of and retaining the truth of the Word of God. It says in verse 21, Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. We ought to meditate on the truth of the Word of God. I, I, you know, people have different ideas about taking notes and this, that, and the other. I've, listen, I've heard preachers get up and, and say, if you ain't taking notes when the preacher's preaching, you're unspiritual. And I've heard other preachers get up and say, if you're distracted with taking notes when the preacher's preaching, then you ain't spiritual. Amen. I think we need to be careful to uh, not rush in where the Word of God does not speak authoritatively on a matter. But I will say this, we ought to do something, whether by means of jotting a note down or by means of taking a mental note and filing it away, something to log away the truth of what's being preached. And by the way, the greatest way to do that is to let it impact our lives. I mean, it's one thing to just memorize facts, but it's something else when something grabs hold of your heart and speaks to you directly. We need to retain the truth of the Word of God. This is done in a number of ways. One of the ways it's done is by careful attention to the preaching of the Word of God. Another way that this is done is by taking note of what has been preached out of the Word of God. But another way is to stay consistently within the truth of the Word of God in our own private time. Isn't it amazing? We live in a time where, you, I mean, you turn around, you trip over a King James Bible somewhere. They got them in hotels, they got them in prisons, they got them in gas stations, they got them at the Walmart. I mean, you can go anywhere. If you ain't got a Bible, I'll give you a Bible. Somebody say amen to that. There's no excuse for you and I to toss into the corner and let gather dust something that people have fought and bled and died just to grab a page of throughout history. And so we ought to take the Word of God and we ought to read it. We ought to spend time reading the truth of the Word of God. I think, number one, we ought to present our ears to the truth of the Word of God. Look down at verse number 23. Solomon says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I'd say, number two, if we want to present our bodies to the Lord, we need to protect our hearts. Because our hearts are the seedbed from which all of our actions and thoughts spring forth. The way the Bible says it is, out of it are the issues of life. Now, that term issue, I believe, has a few connotations. One, when we think of an issue, we think of a matter, right? We think of a topic or we think of a, a, a situation. Uh, can I give you an example? Somebody look at somebody and say, hey, that person has issues, right? <laughs> they have issues. What you're saying is there's some baggage, there are some, some uh, circumstances concerning their life and behavior. And I believe that is part of what God's saying. He's saying this, that what's in your heart will find its way into your actions and behavior. 
what you allow within. And when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the seed of emotion and adoration. In other words, if you love something, you're going to live for it. Mark her down. If you love money, you're going to live for money. And we ought to all love our spouse and love our family. But I mean, if you love your family more than the Lord, then you're going to live for your family instead of living for the Lord. You can go on down the line. There's, uh, you know, various hobbies and things that you might be involved in. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that. But if we allow those to take the place of the Lord Jesus Christ, then that's what we're going to live for instead of for Him. But I think also, too, it, it evokes the idea of this pouring forth of matters from our life. You see, because when we talk about an issue, uh, in as much as we refer to it as a noun, it, it deals with the idea of the circumstances of life. But as a verb, it refers to something that pours forth or that streams forth from something. You know, Christ talked about it this. He said that out of the depths of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, that whatever we lay up as a treasure in our heart, that that's going to be reflected in what we say and think. And we might just put it this way. Can I say this? If we let trash in, then trash is going to come out. If we let trash in our heart, then trash is going to come out. Now, I'm not going to pretend to tell you I'm some kind of monk that lives up in the hills that runs from a television set like it's the devil. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that my life is completely untouched by the elements of this world. And by the way, I don't believe that's scripturally inappropriate because Christ prayed not that we'd be taken out of the world, but that we'd be kept from the world. Amen? Uh, listen, we're not, we can't be uh, a very effective light unless we're in the midst of a dark world, right? But I think it is important that though we are surrounded by the world and though we do not need to hide ourselves away in a bubble or go lock ourselves away in our attic or go into a cave and pull a rock across the mouth of it, I do think it is important that we protect ourselves from allowing things to become permeating and, and uh, infiltrating into our lives. Uh, me and my wife were talking about it the other day, and, and you know, sometimes semantics can be a hollow thing, but inasmuch as these terms mean something to me and her, we, we were using these terms and we were saying that, you know, there's a difference between sheltering your kids and shielding your kids. Uh, we don't ever want to shelter our kids, but we do want to shield our kids. And you say, well, preacher, what's the difference? Well, sheltering them is trying to uh, concoct a world that doesn't exist for them to live in. But shielding them is to try to show them that there are some things that are going to harm them, and they better be vigilant to make sure these things don't enter into their lives. Uh, not trying to put them in a little sterile, germ-free bubble, but uh, determining that we're going to show them that there's a lot of wickedness out in this world, and there's nothing but heartache and hurt and harm to come from the wickedness of this world. And by the same token, I'd say this, us as adults need a good dose of that too. Because the fact is, we've become too entwined with this world. I, listen, I, I'm, I pay attention to what goes on in the news. I pay attention to what goes on in the world. I don't think that's a wrong thing to do. But let us never forget that we're not citizens of this world primarily. I, I'm an American citizen, proudly so, amen? Proudly so. But my primary citizenship is in heaven. That American citizenship, that's secondary, amen? But I, I'm, I, I may have been naturalized in, in the spiritual sense as an American citizen, but I'm, I, I'm home-born, born again, a citizen of heaven. And as such, we need to never forget that that's where our hope and home lies. And we don't need to let our heart become so entwined with the things of this world that they begin to drive us 
and define us. Look down at verse number 24. I think we not only need to present our ears and protect our hearts, but verse 24 says, Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. I think we need to purge our mouths and make sure that the things we say are Christ-honoring, kind, and glorifying to God. I was reminded immediately when I began to look at this of what James said in the book of James chapter number 3. And he has a lot of things to say about the tongue. But he, he says this in verse number 8. He says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. And therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Then he draws our attention to a natural illustration. He says, Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. In other words, there ought to be a singularity and uniformity to the way we talk and the way we act, and the things that we say. I think this contains two thoughts. One is that our our mouth needs to be pure. And we don't need to speak of wicked things. Isn't that right? The Bible says that we're not even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, the evil things that the world does. Now, I understand people say, well, you know, what's the difference, this word or that word? Let me tell you something. There are some things that bother me more than others, but I'll tell you this. I I think that every one of us needs to determine that our speech is going to be glorifying to God and is going to be becoming of a Christian. I wonder if people were to take just a random snippet out of our day and listen to it like an audio track and not know a thing about us. I wonder if they'd say that person's a Christian or that person is a lost man. I think our conversation, our behavior, but also our lips, our words needs to be pure. But I think also something that is important here is that our lips need to be proclaiming the gospel to those that are around us. If we're going to submit our lips unto the Lord, I think He's going to do two things. I think He's going to get rid of the things that don't glorify Him, but I think He's going to place on our lips the things that do glorify Him. I think we ought to be praising God and proclaiming the gospel. Our lips should be the outlet for God's praise and for the truth of the gospel to this lost and dying world. I wonder this. You know what we're doing, right? We're presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So let me ask you something. Is the way that you talk and the things that you say and the the content of your conversation, are you doing with your lips what God would do with your lips? Are you doing with your lips what God would do with your lips? I understand we, if you're like me, you talk a lot. Amen. I say a lot of words during the day. I don't, they don't, you know, they got those fit bits that you wear around and tell you how many footsteps you take every day. They ain't got no lip bits, amen, that tell you how many. They do, but, but a bit for your lips, it ain't, it ain't meant to count the words. It's meant to hush the words, amen, but. I mean, that tells you how many words you speak in a day. I'd be shocked probably to find out how much talking that I do. I'm not going to tell you that every conversation I have is at the height and axiom of spirituality. I'm not going to tell you that there aren't times that I talk about the weather and times I talk about, oh, I don't know, Tennessee beating Kentucky in basketball or something like that. 
And no, I'm joking. I, I don't care a thing about basketball. But I, I, so you won't ever find me talking about that. But I, I, I'm saying that I'm not saying that I don't have what you might call spiritually neutral conversations. But it ought to be as a believer that we spend a fair amount of time speaking also of spiritual matters. The things that God has done in our lives and the things that God will do in the lives of others. I think we ought to purge our mouths and make sure they're being used for the glory of God. Look at verse 25. Uh, The writer of Proverbs says, Let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. I think we need to position our eyes in a way that would give God glory. Now, when we speak of the eyes, we're speaking of vision. We're speaking of both what we are seeing and what we desire to see. And I think there are two connotations here. I think the first is this, that we need to be focused when it comes to our spiritual walk. Notice again what he says. He says, let thine eyes look right on. Right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. So he's speaking not only of the direction of our eyes, right, let look right on, but he's speaking also the direction of our eyelids, so he's speaking of the direction of our head. I mean, listen, my eyelids can be facing over here and my eyes can be facing over there, but what he's saying is you ought to have a single-mindedness and single vision. You ought to be looking forward and focused on what God would have you to do. You know, a lot of the reason we don't get nothing done is we're just distracted. Right? We're just distracted. And I remember when I was in school, if I was good at anything, it was distracting people. Didn't nobody get anything done in a class that I was in. I had an English teacher one time. In fact, there was a young man, his son, that's headed to the Ukraine as a missionary that came and dropped in us probably about six months ago. Tall, blonde-headed boy named David Lohman. Does anybody remember that missionary? Anybody remember him? His daddy hated me. He was my English teacher. And I was so disagreeable as a student that it got to the place where he didn't even let me in class. I'd come to him and he'd give me my homework and say, go sit out in the hallway and do your homework out there because we argued so much. The only teacher I didn't spend time arguing with was Richard Evans. And that says something about both of our personalities. Amen? And uh, But pretty much every one of them I spent time arguing with. Didn't nobody get anything done around me. I was the biggest distraction there was. If a joke was to be told, I told it. If a noise was to be made, I made it. If something was to be thrown, I threw it. I was that child. You know, I imagine, I look back, I wonder how many people's academic careers I derailed through my, you know, tomfoolery and and behavior. Because you couldn't get anything done. But you know, the world's that way with you and I. If you let it, the world will keep you running in circles. Life will keep you running in circles. Isn't it amazing how when you don't intend on reading your Bible, you can't find a thing to do? But when you make your mind up that you're going to read the Word of God and spend some time studying it, all of a sudden, things just start to fall apart. That's the way the devil works. It's the way the world works. It's the way the flesh works. We need to be focused on serving God. There are a lot of things that we're going to be involved in in life. I'm talking about trivial matters that just fill in the days and the hours and the months and, and so on and so forth. But in the midst of those things, let us not lose focus of what is our singular purpose for walking this earth and what is our singular work in which we are employed. The purpose is to glorify God. The work is the preaching and sharing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's saying that we need to be focused, but I think it's also saying we need to be faithful in our eyesight. You know, I'm reminded of what David said. He said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. He says, there are some things I'm not going to look on because I know they draw my heart away from God. David found this out firsthand, didn't he? There was a day when the armies of Israel went marching to war. David decided he was going to stay behind. 
And there, as he stood upon the balcony, he looked down upon the rooftop and saw a lady by the name of Bathsheba bathing in the middle of the day. And he had the opportunity in that moment to make the decision to look away and to keep his integrity. But instead, he fixed his eyes on her and lust began to grow and burn. And before long, he had made a wreck of her family and life. He had made a wreck of his family and life. He had made a wreck of the entire nation of Israel. The sword never departed from his home because of his behavior. And it all began when he allowed some things into his field of vision that did not belong there. I think as long as we're allowing the images of the world to distract us, and as long as we're allowing the images of the flesh and carnality to uh, derail us, we're not going to present our bodies to the Lord, and we're not doing what God would require. Let me give you one final thing, and I'll be done tonight. Look down at verse 26 and 27. The Word of God says, Ponder the path of thy feet. Let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. I think if we're going to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord, we need to present our ears and protect our hearts. I believe we need to purge our mouths and position our eyes in the right way. But I think ultimately we need to ponder our footsteps. And we need to make sure that we're walking in a way that would bring God glory. I think this denotes two basic truths, one of which is this. We need to make sure we're not going places we shouldn't go. It says, remove thy foot from evil. Now listen, I know there's a lot of people with, with a bunch of letters after their names and degrees on their behalf, and they've written books, and they've got big churches with 8,000 people in them that tell you that you can go anywhere you want and do anything you want to do, and as long as you stick the tag Christian on it, God's okay with it. Call me simple, call me ignorant, but please at least call me scriptural when I say this, that we need to make sure we're not going the places that the world goes. It's not the will of God for you to go down and sit on a bar stool and drink a beer to witness to the man at the bar. You say, but preacher, who's going to reach them? You're going to reach them. You're going to reach them before they go in or you're going to reach them after they come out. But there ain't no sense in sullying your testimony by going in with the pig into the slop and miring around in that same mud. We need to not go to places of the world. There's some places no Christian ought to be found at. They shall not be found at. Listen, no Christian ought to be found in a liquor store. They just shouldn't be found there. I, you'll never convince me Jesus would be found there. Uh, listen, no, no Christian ought to be in a, in a place where folks dance half-naked. No Christian. No Christian. Don't matter how old you are, how young you are. Doesn't matter what you think or what you do, you ought not be found there. Uh, Christians ought not be in a place where the name of the Lord is blasphemed. You ought not be found there. It's wrong. And, and it, the very fact that we even have to have this discussion tells you how carnal and wicked the church has gotten in this day of apostasy. I think it denotes, just as it says they're removing our foot from evil in verse 27, but I also think it's saying this. Not only saying there's some places we shouldn't go, but it's saying there's some places we should go. And those things are defined by the reality of the Word of God. It says, Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. That term established means set down and set forth. Determined might be a good word that we might associate with it. And it's saying this, that if we're going to present our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord, we need to find the will of God and we need to do it. I've spent a lot of time lately talking about the will of God. Somebody must need it. Amen? Um, I've spent a lot of time talking about the will of God. I think we probably don't talk about it enough. 
I think we've spent so little time. I'll be honest with you. I, spent, I think we have spent so little time over the past maybe three generations talking about the will of God that we've raised a generation of young people that don't realize God has a will about their lives. And they think they just you just go and you do whatever you want and you make your own plans and you know God's just going to be okay with it because God don't care anyway. But that's not the reality of Scripture. God has a will, a desire for your life. And unless you've found God's will on a matter and are walking in it, you're not presenting your body a living sacrifice. Now you say, preacher, what if I don't know the will of God? Well, keep praying until you do. Keep praying until you do. You say, but preacher, what if I have to make a decision? Well, don't make a decision until you know the will of God. Listen, it, 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 it's a lot easier. What, what's the old adage? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. An ounce of prevention. Uh, it's not going to kill you to wait till God makes something known. In fact, you'll find this, that oftentimes God puts us in the right timetable by withholding the knowledge of His will until the appropriate time. Sometimes it ain't that, you're, it ain't that God's will is going to be anything different than what you think it's going to be. Sometimes it's that God's timing is different than what you think it ought to be. So we need to find the will of God. Now, there's probably some folks in here that their, their mouth and their ears and their feet belong to the Lord, but their heart and their eyes don't belong to Him. There might be some people in here that their heart and their eyes and their ears belong to the Lord, but their feet and their mouth don't belong to Him. I would just simply say this. We're not commanded to uh, present just part of our body. Holy, acceptable unto the Lord. We're to present our whole body unto Him. We are to present ourselves in our entirety unto the Lord. If the Lord has part of you, God bless you, that's wonderful. But He needs all of you. He needs all of you. And if He has none of you tonight, if there's never been a time... I'm not talking about getting saved. I'm talking about rededicating your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're, not, if you're here and you ain't been saved, you need to get saved tonight. But if you're already saved, there's a lot of folks that are saved, but they're not living for the Lord, and they've not surrendered their heart unto Him. Then what you need to do tonight is you need to yield and heed to the warning of the Holy Ghost, and you need to submit your body unto Him. Your heart, your eyes, your mouth, your ears, your feet unto Him, your eyes unto Him, and allow Him to have all of you. And I promise you this, He'll do more with your life than you ever could on your own. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed,